Washington Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Mr. President, you're going to lose to Trump. We're begging you, step down. (laughs) That's quite a title. Uh, For an op-ed that showed up on Newsweek, newsweek newsweek.com, newsweekmagazine.com. On uh, Friday, is it Friday? Yeah, Friday the 22nd. I mean, this is the guy that's the CEO and and founder of, uh, and he's also a host on the Young Turks, which is uber, uber liberal Democrat uh, online talk show kind of network thing. And uh, Sink, Chink, I can't, I don't know how he spells it, it says his name, C-E-N-K, and then Uyghur, uh, U-Y-G-U-R. So there's this guy. And uh, that's interesting days when you see this. As an opinion piece in, at Newsweek.com, which is not exactly a bastion of conservative thought. So you've got this one. And then over 40 percent of voters believe they're worse off financially under Biden in 37 year high. Biden makes border history with most immigrant encounters in August ever recorded. And then Mayor Eric Johnson wrote this op ed in uh, the Wall Street Journal. He's the mayor of Dallas. Uh, officially letting everybody know he's gonna he's switching to the Republican Party. So pretty interesting days here, to say the least. And we've been saying this for a while that this presidential primary and and what's going to happen in the next twelve months will be one of the most bizarre political seasons uh, of our lives. And I think there's no doubt that it's uh, moving in that direction. So this was in uh, Newsweek. So the old rule about incumbents was that if they are under fifty points in approval, they're toast. President Biden is under 40. There's almost no chance he's going to win. I've never heard of an incumbent polling under 40 points who went on to win re-election. When it comes to Joe Biden, three and six have him in the 30s. In one recent poll, President Biden was at an abysmal 32 percent. Sorry, but that's unrecoverable. This is the guy from Young Turks in Newsweek, newsweek newsweek.com. You're just telling yourself sweet little lies if you think he can win with those numbers. I know what everyone in Washington is going to say next, but that's not fair. He passed so many bills. No one has passed this much legislation since Grover Cleveland or something. He passed the semiconductor bill. I got bad news for you if you're a Democrat. No one cares about the semiconductor bill or any of the other bills that helped his donors so much. And coincidentally, a couple of other Americans as well. Even if you love those bills, no American even knows about them. This is, again, on Newsweek. On the other hand, if you're a Republican, Biden is a godsend, especially if you're MAGA. There's no way Trump can beat anyone else. Another poll found that 59% of Americans think Trump should end his campaign immediately and quit life. Okay, they didn't say that last part, but they might as well have. I've never seen a number that bad. In that same poll, Trump came in an abysmal 33% approval rating. And how did Biden do in that poll? Worse. He was one point lower at 32%. MAGA should be doing everything they can to keep Biden in the race. He's their only hope. President Biden needs to step down immediately and give someone else a chance to do what they will certainly be uh, what they will certainly be able to accomplish. Trounce Trump in 2024, although you probably heard the ABC News poll that just came out 
over the weekend that had Trump up 10 points uh, against Biden. And then ABC came out and said, but, you know, we know this is probably an outlier. <laughs> it's crazy, right? I'm a progressive, he writes. So even if I get my wish and President Biden were to step down, I'm not overly fond of any of the corporate Democrats, yada, yada. If you spend any time listening to people in power in politics or media, you'll you'll have heard some version of the talking point that Joe Biden is the only one who can beat Trump. It's nonsense. Based on what data are they making this claim? The truth is the opposite. Biden is the only person who can't beat Trump. My left foot can beat Trump. An open dumpster fire can beat Trump. Mm. We're going to find out, aren't we? And God help the Democrats that the Republican nominee isn't Donald Trump. Then Biden has a mathematically 0% chance of winning. Not close, not within miles of close. So this is in uh, Newsweek, newsweek.com. You can hate the messenger, final paragraph. And you can think that an, that an incumbent can win even though they're in their 30s in approval, but that isn't going to change the inevitable. Joe Biden is going to lose this election. We need a new candidate. Well, there seems to be a whole lot of people out there uh, that agree this is in the Washington Examiner. 44% of Americans believe they are worse off financially under his administration. I would add my I add myself to that, our household to that, definitely, because of inflation and some other things. The latest ABC News Washington poll numbers are the highest in 37 years for any president in the ABC Post polls. Biden's approval rating for his performance on the economy sits at 30%. Which is, isn't it amazing that Biden keeps talking about, uh, we're going to run on Bidenomics. Mm -hmm, go right ahead. Biden has focused on his, his re-election campaign on his infrastructure investments and creating new climate jobs. <laughs> Which, who cares? 56% disapprove of his job performance, while just 37% approve. Former President uh, Don, Donald Trump has more intra-party intra support, with 54% of Republicans favoring him for the GOP nomination. While 43% would prefer another candidate, in comparison, Biden is struggling to gather support in his own party, with 33% of Democrats favoring him and 62% prefer someone else for the nomination. And who might that someone else be? Right? Is it going to be Gavin Newsom? So Gavin Newsom, this just uh, he and Ron DeSantis, uh, that just was official that they are doing their red state, blue state governor debate, which the White House was not happy about because uh, DeSantis is also in the presidential primary, obviously. But that's going to be on November 30th, right after Thanksgiving. So it's going to be an hour and a half. DeSantis versus Newsom. And I do have a Newsom story that will show you that uh, he's definitely getting himself ready in case the call comes in. So we'll get to that. Uh, but then border history, another big number for Biden or low number, depending on your perspective. I want to walk through that one because this is a total train wreck. What's going down on the southern border. And then the uh, mayor of Dallas, Texas, Mayor Eric Johnson. America's cities need Republicans. This is Wall Street Journal. America's cities need Republicans, comma, and I'm becoming one. <laughs> wow. Pretty interesting. Okay, so we have some pretty interesting stories to go over. And Newsom positioning himself by vetoing a, a gender identity bill in California, which should just clarify that it sure feels like we're living in the last days doesn't it just bizarre stuff 
But some good news towards the end as well. This is Steve Noble. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show, working our way through uh, a bunch of troubling stories for the Democrats, the Democrat Party, uh, President Biden. And then, of course, uh, you better make sure if you have daughters, you better take care of that because it's like every day is a national something day. Right. Last week. Remember, we took calls last week about cheeseburgers because it was National Cheeseburger today. We got a lot of options today on Monday, September 25th. You have National Family Day. That's the fourth day and uh, fourth, fourth Monday in September. So I got to figure out what to do about that. National Daughters Day. Just texted my daughters because you better. Uh, National Quesadilla Day today happens to be uh, National Family Day. National Lobster Day, September 25th. That, that's very important. National Lobster Day. International Research Administrator Day. Who comes up with this stuff? National Tune-Up Day. Probably sponsored by Jiffy Lube. Uh, National Comic Book Day happens to be today. Math Storytelling Day, September 25th. I don't think I'll take part in that one. National One Hit Wonder Day is today, September 25th. So uh, just make sure you are uh, on top of all these things so you can be a good person. And then coming tomorrow, FYI. Just a moment of levity here. Uh, it's National Shamu the Whale Day tomorrow. It's also National Pancake Day tomorrow. National Compliance Officer Day, if that happens to be you. God bless you for your work. Uh, <laughs> National Dumpling Day. National Johnny Appleseed Day is tomorrow. National Situational Awareness Day is tomorrow. Who, like, who does this? Who comes up with this stuff? Uh... <laughs> Let me. I'm just looking at some more. Oh, I missed National Forgiveness Day. Well, we don't really do forgiveness, do we? The 26th, the 27th, uh, World uh, Dense, and no, National Day of Forgiveness, National Scarf Day. That's uh, the 27th. Coming up, two days, National Crush a Can Day. We can all take part in that. National Chocolate Milk Day out there on the 27th. National Women's Health and Fitness Day also on the 27th. And... Last but not least, on September 28th, yes, believe it or not, National North Carolina Day. <laughs> well, did you, my fellow North Carolinians, did you know that we had our own national day? Well, now you do, September 28th. Okay, off of the ridiculous, worthless news. And we'll go back to this. So I mentioned the border. What a train wreck. Every day's National Train Wreck Day at the border, by the way. Biden makes border history. Great, excellent. More than 300,000 immigrants, uh, oh, oh, August, August, last month, 304,162 people were apprehended by Border Patrol while crossing the border illegally, were deemed inadmissible by custom officers at ports of entry, or used new Biden initiatives to bypass the border and fly under the umbrella of temporary parole, according to data published by U.S. Customs and Border Protection on Friday. The August numbers surpassed the record of 302,412 from December of 2022, also a Biden month. The 304,162 is between five and ten times higher than the average monthly totals seen during the Obama and Trump administrations. See previous article, Mr. President, we're going to lose to Trump. We're begging you step down. 
At the southern border, 181,059 immigrants were arrested after walking around the ports of entry and crossing into the U.S. Approximately 74,000 of that number were single adults. 19,000 arrived with a family member and 13,500 were unaccompanied children. Uh, Good job, Democrats and Biden administration. Unaccompanied children. That's the kind of nightmare you're creating down there. Customs officers at the southern border ports encountered 51,913 people who did not have documents to enter, but may have claimed asylum. And just because you come from a poor country doesn't mean you uh, can claim asylum, but they all do. Another approximately 20,000 immigrants were arrested on the northern border uh, or deemed inadmissible at air, land, and seaports up north. So maybe they're switching around a little bit. Since President Joe Biden took office, Border Patrol agents have apprehended, get this, more than 7 million people who illegally entered the country between ports of entry nationwide. 7 million people since Joe Biden took office on January 20th of 2021. 7 million. The population of the state of North Carolina is 10.5 million by comparison. The surge in August is unusual because illegal immigration has historically declined during the summer months. When it's extremely hot near the border, the increase could mean even higher illegal immigration when temperatures drop in the fall, as I'm sure it will. White House Press Secretary uh, KJP, Corinne Jean-Pierre Van Van Dam, that's what I always throw in there, pushed back on questions about a surge at the border this week and said, the numbers ebb and flow. (laughs) Yes, and they are flowing and ebbing to historic proportions under your boss, his administration, KJP Van Dam. And so just the numbers uh, ebb and flow. They know they're vulnerable, all this stuff. You know the Democrats behind closed doors have got to be losing their minds just with respect to this train wreck uh, at the border. And so it's no wonder that somebody that probably deals with a decent amount of influx of illegal aliens at the southern border is Mayor Eric Johnson of Dallas. This may be one of the reasons he penned this op-ed. This was just in the Wall Street Journal just the other day. America's cities need Republicans, and I'm becoming one. I have been mayor of Dallas for more than four years. During that time, my priority has been to make the city safer, stronger, and more vibrant. That meant saying no to those who wanted to defund the police. It meant fighting for lower taxes and a friendlier business climate. And it meant investing in family-friendly infrastructure such as better parks and trails. That approach is working. Alone among America's top 10 most populous cities, Dallas has brought violent crime down in every major category, including murder year over year for the past two years. In a recent Gallup poll asking Americans to rate the safety of major cities, Dallas came uh, came out on top. We have also reduced our property tax rate every year since I took office, signaling to investors that Dallas intends to remain the nation's most pro-business city. This philosophy has helped attract growing small businesses and several Fortune 500 companies, including Goldman Sachs, the construction engineering firm ACOM, and the global commercial real estate outfit CBRE. After these wins for the people of Dallas, and after securing 98.7 of the vote in my re-election campaign this year, I have no intention of changing my approach to my job. But... Today, I am changing my party affiliation. Next spring, I will be voting in the Republican primary. When my career in elected office ends in 2027 on the inauguration of my successor as mayor, I will leave office as a Republican. 
I realize that this will come as a surprise to many. <laughs> Not for those of us that are rational can see what you're doing here. Because the guy's running Dallas like a Republican. Is he not? During the decade I spent serving my hometown in the Texas House of Representatives, I was a Democrat in a Republican-controlled legislature. I prided myself on finding common-sense solutions and worked closely with my conservative colleagues to improve policing, public education, and water infrastructure. I was never a favorite of the Democrat caucus, and the feeling was mutual. By the time I was elected mayor in nonpartisan office in 2019, I was relieved to be free from the hyperpartisanship and ready to focus on solving problems. No, 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 no. That, see, now that's what makes him a terrible Democrat. You, you can't be after the issues, Eric, or solving problems. You just have to follow the narrative. Wow. They're cutting some dead weight on this. A little more from that when we come back. Thanks to my friend TJ on Facebook Live. Uh, and shame on all of you. I don't remember getting a single card, not a single email, no, no text, no message on Facebook. No, you know, you do the Facebook thing and you got all these little explosions going off because it's a celebration thing because August 25th was National Redhead Day, of which I'm a member. And so uh, what? what's up with that? World Redhead Day was May 26th. A National Redhead Day... Uh, also in November, so like three of them. Feels so special. Okay, we're back to this letter. Mayor Eric Johnson, the mayor of Dallas, Texas, telling everybody via a Wall Street Journal op-ed that he's changing parties because I've been doing these stories so far today about uh, big, 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 big trouble for the Democrat Party. But I don't believe I can stay on the sidelines any longer, he writes. I've always tried to be honest and say what I think is right for my city. The future of America's great urban centers depends on the willingness of the nation's mayors to champion law and order and practice fiscal conservatism. Oh, man, this guy's lost his marbles. Our cities desperately need the genuine commitment to these principles, as opposed to the inconsistent poll-driven commitment of many Democrats. That has long been a defining characteristic of the GOP. That other part was in parentheses. In other words... American cities need Republicans. (laughs) I love it. And Republicans need American cities. When my political hero, Theodore Roosevelt, was born, only 20% of Americans lived in urban areas. By the time he was elected president, that share had doubled to 40%. Today, it stands at 80%. As America's cities go, so goes America. Unfortunately, many of our cities are in disarray. Mayors and other local elected officials have failed to make public safety a priority or to exercise fiscal restraint. It's because they're Democrats, Eric. Most of these local leaders are proud Democrats. Oh, there it is. Who will view cities as laboratories for liberalism, correct, including children, rather than as havens for opportunity and free enterprise. Too often, local tax dollars are spent on policies that exacerbate homelessness, coddle criminals, and make it harder for ordinary people to make a living. I can't believe he's been a Democrat this long. In the coming years, I will continue to pursue my three-pronged goal for Dallas, yada, yada. And I intend to keep the promise I made to Dallas voters in 2019 and refrain from endorsing candidates seeking partisan political office while I'm mayor, even though now he's come out and told everybody he's becoming a Republican. Still, with my change in party affiliation, I recognize that the number of Republican mayors leading the nation's 10 largest cities has increased from zero to one. And you wonder why all these cities are a train wreck, right? We all know this, don't we, intrinsically? This is hardly a red wave, but it is clear that the nation and its cities have reached a time for choosing. And the overwhelming majority of Americans who call our cities home deserve to have real choices, not progressive echo chambers. 
at City Hall. Way to go, <clears throat> Mayor Eric Johnson, a uh, soon-to-be proud Republican in Dallas, Texas. And you go look at them. Go look at all the biggest cities in America. Just go down the line, look at all their numbers, and then look at who the mayors are and what party they're in. And you'll notice it's uh, remarkably lopsided. Just like he said, of the top 10 biggest cities in America, he's the only Republican. And it shows because Dallas is doing much better than the others. What is Gavin Newsom up to? Okay, he's got, they, they finally settled on a date that he and Ron DeSantis are going to do blue state, red state debate on November 30th with Sean Hannity on Fox News. It'll be an hour and a half. So that should be a fascinating one, mano on a, a mano. I love that. But the thing that was really interesting about Gavin Newsom, who I think is setting himself up for, hey, uh, if they can figure out a way to get rid of Biden, to get him out of there in the next 12 months, then Gavin's like, hey, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do it for my country. Something like that. I think that's one of the reasons he's willing to go uh, debate DeSantis. Uh, and and you got to give the guy some credit. I mean, DeSantis knows his stuff. And uh, he'll go right at Gavin. And Gavin's willing to do it on Fox News, of all places. So th- this was an interesting story, which was uh, a, little, a little surprising at first glance. In a surprise move, Governor... Uh, Gavin Newsom in California vetoed a bill that would have allowed judges to consider whether a parent affirms a child's gender identity, among other factors, during custody battles. In his veto message, Newsom said that the bill might be used to limit the, quote, civil rights of vulnerable minorities, saying that judges in California were already supposed to look at parental, quote unquote, affirmation during determinations of child safety. The bill had drawn backlash from advocates who said that parents could lose custody of a child if they don't agree with the child's claims to be transgender. Think about that for a second. You have a le- an emerging legal system in America where your 10-year-old says, your 10-year-old son says, uh, I think I was born in the wrong body. I'm supposed to be a girl or vice versa is the much more common one. Well, the girl says I, I, I should be a boy. Okay, and so if you don't affirm that, that can uh, lead to a custody problem for you because you're not going to agree with your 10-year-old who obviously is either part of the social contagion of transgenderism or needs uh, serious and ongoing help with their gender dysphoria. They do not need a mom or a dad to say, okay, Billy, okay, Cindy, you are what you say you are. No, that's not how you raise children. I appreciate the passion and values that led the author to introduce this bill. I share deep commitment to advancing the rights of transgender Californians, an effort that has guided my decisions through my decades in public office, he said. That said, I urge caution when the executive and legislative branches of state government attempt to dictate legal standards for the judicial branch to apply. Newsom wrote, other-minded elected officials in California and other states could very well use this strategy to diminish the civil rights of vulnerable communities. Moreover, a court under existing law is required to consider a child's health, safety, and welfare when determining the best interests of a child in these proceedings, including the parent's affirmation of the child's gender identity. And therein lies the trouble, right? If you don't affirm your 13-year-old, your 10-year-old, your 8-year-old, in their mixed-up view of themselves, you're in trouble in California and an increasing number of other states, okay? Because you parents obviously don't know what's best for your child. Your child does. You know, that's the advantage of being eight. You know everything. 
Republicans and conservative groups who opposed the bill said it would have eroded parents' rights and could be easily manipulated for one parent to gain control of a child over the other. No kidding. Newsom has been a proponent of radical gender theory throughout his time in office and has previously signed a bill that makes California a refuge for parents who want their children to undergo sex change procedures, including life-altering surgeries and hormone treatments. He also signed a bill into law that allows men to be placed in women's prisons if they identify as a woman, which always works out well. Right? If you've uh, paid any attention to those stories, these men that claim to be women, and they put them in the women's prisons where they then rape, plunder, and pillage. And there's been plenty of stories. You can just go look that up. I'll quote my dad on this one. Look it up. You can go find it for yourself. There's a lot of that out there. Really amazing. Now on the other side of it, on the other side of that issue, here's a really good story. Did you notice this out of Canada, of all places? So they had this thing called the Million Person March, or hashtag One Million March for Children, uh, which was in several locations throughout Canada. One in Ottawa this past Wednesday drew 10,000 supporters, but there were hundreds of thousands around the whole Canadian provinces, okay, all of them, all across there. So it, the interesting thing about this is it was started by a Muslim. And uh, you, when, it, when it comes to certain things with, regarding family, uh, gender, homosexuality, Muslims are, uh, if they're serious Muslims, they know the Quran, they are, they're going to align, at least uh, philosophically, with Christians. In terms of gender, um, homosexuality, not a great choice. Some Muslims are going to go way too far with that stuff. But generally, philosophically, uh, we agree on a lot of areas there. So this million-person march, uh, which God bless these people up there in Canada, are coming together, Christians as well. Their protest was just one of a dozen. Dozens held across Canada on September 20th in order for parents to demonstrate their opposition and anger to sexual orientation and gender ideology in the schools. In most provinces, get this, children under 16 can decide to change their gender or pronouns without the permission or knowledge of their parents. So the school is complicit. The school goes along with it. Okay, The school's in league with messed up children to lock out the parents from the knowledge of that information. Those present chanted, leave our kids alone in defiance of the school curriculum. Event organizer Kamel El-Sheikh told the crowd that gathered on Parliament Hill that the new Democratic Party leader, Jagmeet Singh, challenged him in the street when he looked me in the eye and gave El-Sheikh the evil eye hand gesture. He said he stared down Singh and returned the gesture. During his speech, El-Sheikh said the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Singh bullied the blue-collar Freedom Convoy truckers, and this white-collar guy is going to make sure you all eat your words, he said. We're just starting. September 20th will be Families and Kids Liberation Day. We will be relentless. We will be unapologetic. From Victoria, Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, we will defend our children and parents' rights at all costs. Remember... We are the powerful majority. We are one nation under God. God keep our land glorious and free. Uh, some more things, some more comments here from this. And wouldn't it be nice to see this in America? To see parents and parents groups and parents rights groups, Christian groups, Muslim groups come out and uh, find a little unity around the issue that the overwhelming majority of us agree with, which is protecting our children from this radical gender and sexual ideology. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. I'll get to the final story here in a couple minutes, which is about the government shutdown, which most of these Republicans will do anything they have to to avoid that. Uh, because you can't appear to be uh, strong-willed and have, a, have enough of a backbone to be willing to do some tough things in order to pull the country back from its financial madness. You can't do that. That that might make might make us look like bad people. We'll be the party of no. You know, like virtually every good parent that's ever existed, it's the party of no. So I'll get to that here in a second. Uh, just finishing up this one. This was uh, in the postmillennial.com. Massive crowds of parents march in Canadian cities to protest Trudeau's liberals' far left gender indoctrination in schools. Started by uh, a Muslim man. L. It's C H E I K H. Sheikh Shake Check. I don't know. I'm going with Shake. El Sheikh told the Post Millennial the march was celebrating Canada's beauty as the weather, a sunny and warm day in the nation's capital, reflected his words. Quote, we're going to bring Canadians together again because Canadians have been protesting from coast to coast organically. We brought together Protestant Christians and Catholics and evangelicals and Muslims, and then they're coming together to protect Canada's kids. Isn't that lovely? He asked. Pastor Renee McIntyre, who was one of the speakers for the day, praised the way that El Sheikh had ensured that all faiths were represented in the march and told TPM, we're standing in solidarity with this man. We're here representing and saying to the education system, you have crossed the line and we're not willing to put it up, put up with it anymore. Children are our greatest treasure. They're our greatest resource. It's our responsibility to make sure they are safe, she said. Let us raise our kids. We want to raise them, which is like... Does not go without saying, <laughs> like so many things today. The crowd cheered enthusiastically for all the speakers, but gave a little extra applause for Nathan Pawlowski, the son of Calvary pastor Arthur Pawlowski. You might recognize that name, who was just sentenced to 60 days in jail this week for violating COVID mandates when he preached to a group of Freedom Convoy truckers at the Coots uh, Alta border crossing. Remember that one? Pawlowski walked free, however, because the judge gave him credit for time already served in Alberta's prisons, much of it in solitary confinement. Charming. The younger Pawlowski had delivered a powerful speech to the European Union Parliament in July, criticizing Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's crackdown on civil liberties when he invoked the Emergencies Act against the Freedom Convoy and his war on speech with several Internet censorship bills. They're so socialist up there, it's mind-boggling. Pawlowski said Wednesday that governments and school teacher unions, this was last week, have, quote, made a grave mistake uniting us finally to push back. That's what they fear the most, unity. He's right. That's why they cracked down so hard on the Freedom Convoy, why they arrested my father, why they convicted him, and why they wanted him in jail for giving a sermon because he was uniting Canadians. Government has no business in the education of children, none whatsoever. That decision rests with the parent and the family. They have stepped too far, he said. We will not accept the normalization of indoctrination because we know throughout history that it always ends in tragedy. My parents are immigrants. They escaped communism. My great-grandparents told me about Nazism. My grandparents about communism. My parents escaped communism. The similarities are uncanny in, in what we are seeing in Canada today. We are in a dangerous position, Pawlowski said. El Sheikh spoke last. He promised that the, the million-person march would not be a one-time event, but the beginning of a national movement. He has centered his political activism in the Hands Off Our Kids website, in case you want to check that out, uh, handsoffourkids.com. Hands off our kids.com. And, and I applaud all of you that have taken a stand at school board meetings, which has been awesome. 
like my slightly younger brother from another mother, John Amanchukwu, who's working with Turning Point uh, USA. He's with uh, Bishop Wooden at the Upper Room Church of God in Christ in Southeast Raleigh. He's doing a fantastic job, and God's really given him a great voice and a great message, which he is taking nationwide. And it's so important for us to do that, for people to do that at a school board meeting here and there to show up in force and to speak out. But I would say that the Canadians took it to where it should be in America with, with, with a nationwide push because that's what they have to see. It goes back to Ronald Reagan. Remember that? Make them see the light or make them feel the heat. So if you have just a handful of people, now think politically here for a second. I'm, we're playing a little screw tape letters here. If, if you only have a handful of people, a handful of conservative Christians mostly, but conservatives in general, that show up at these school board meetings and and give great speeches and make impassioned stances. That's great. But that's a small number of people. So you can assume that the vast majority of conservative people, although they're upset about all the gender ideology and indoctrination going on in the public schools, aren't willing to show up and do anything about it. So do you really, politically speaking, do you really have to worry about them? You You, you know that the people that come out, like John, to a school board meeting represents other people. But does it represent enough other people that you start to take that seriously in terms of uh, its effect on polling, like actual elections? They have to see you come out. They have to see you get out of your routine and get out of your apathy and show up. We did all kinds of stuff like this with Call to Action years ago. And, and, and that's the thing that scares politicians the most when you get large groups of people that'll take time off or walk away from their jobs for the day or half a day or whatever the case may be in order to show up and to be heard, which we have a constitutional right to, a redress of our grievances, the right to assemble, the right to free speech, so on and so forth. But if you never take advantage of it, liberals, progressives, they're like, whatever, just ignore them, which is partly what happens in the spiritual realm. If we just kind of go to church on Sunday, we go to our Bible study on Monday night, we go back to church dinner on Wednesday, but we pretty much just stay inside of our Christian community, then the devil doesn't have to worry about us much. Just you guys just hang out with each other. It's fine. You start taking the gospel and a biblical worldview outside the confines of the church, you'll find out real quick that the devil doesn't like you and he's willing to do something about it. So, God bless you to these Canadians and the Muslim man up there that inspired that and organized it. be nice to see that down here. Maybe there'll be some kind of a across-the-northern border effort. That would be awesome. All right, so this week the government shutdown. Here we go again. Government shutdown, which would start on Sunday, October 1st. And you watch the Democrats will be crying about furloughing all these employees and furloughing our brave men and women in the military, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know what it is? It's basically a paid vacation. For the overwhelming majority of people that get furloughed, they still get paid. The uh, Social Security checks are still going out, yada, yada, yada. Okay, So a lot of this is just a shell game. But it's going to be interesting to watch Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy takes final shot at avoiding government shutdown. This is in the Wall Street Journal. Congress heads into a make-or-break week for avoiding a government shutdown with leaders of the Republican-controlled House hoping they can persuade GOP holdouts to get on board with four full-year bills and a short-term funding patch. These are just The days of talking about a budget and passing a budget are long gone. 
If no deal is reached, hundreds of thousands of federal workers are set to be furloughed. Still paid, by the way. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said he believed a shutdown could still be averted. Uh, but in what uh, has become a familiar problem, it remained unclear whether he would have enough votes to move forward with his plan. So they're trying to split the whole thing up. Do we do it? A, one big CR, continuing the revolution, uh, resolution, throw everything in there, or do we split it up, which is what some of these Republicans are looking for, so they can get after some, uh, maybe some actual spending cuts. But even that, I was talking to some of my students about this last week, is such a joke. So when you listen to these guys talking about cuts, and uh, we're going to cut this and we're going to cut that. We're going to get serious here. We're going we're gonna to bring down these uh, extravagant spending. And just like when Biden says, we're going to cut the deficit by $1 trillion in the next 10 years. So it'll be the biggest cut to the deficit in modern history. What he's talking about is a $1 trillion decrease in the increase, <laughs> which is just the slowing down of the growth of the debt. Instead of it being $50 trillion in uh, 10 years, it's going to be $49 trillion. And I did that. I pulled the reins back. So we, we didn't dump that extra trillion dollars. See what happens there? That's why you got to understand what these people are talking about. And whenever they talk about spending cuts, and they're almost never talking about uh, one year. Okay, Usually it's five years, eight years, 10 years. And they're talking about we got to we got to cut. This is a uh, twenty four billion dollar cut over the next ten years, and there are a decent amount of Americans that go, "Wow, twenty four billion. That's good. That's serious." Uh, it could be two hundred and forty billion in the next ten years. That's twenty four billion a year. We spend sixteen, seventeen billion a day. So, oh, you guys really, you went for it. I appreciate that. Go for it, man. Just like Nike, you got it. Go for it. You cut a day and a half out of 365 days of spending. Does that, serious, does that sound like a serious cut to you? No, it's throwing us plebeians a bone saying, hey, we're getting serious here. We're cutting spending. The, the $240 billion in the next 10 years. Always remember that. Whenever you hear any of this stuff, hundreds of millions is nothing. That's a joke. You have to write Vance on Facebook and all the cuts are in here 10, right? Which means they're not going to do anything. They're just pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. Nobody in D.C. really is all that serious about spending cuts because it's a problem on both sides. And they want to talk about this stuff <clears throat> and say, well, we're going to do uh, we're going to cut it by one point five nine trillion in over the next 10 years. So the deficit, that just means the deficit won't balloon quite as much as we are expecting it to. And that they call a cut and pat themselves on the back and go live their elitist lifestyles on both sides of the aisle, by the way. So we'll keep an eye on this one. Uh, David uh, David Fisher will be back in on Wednesday. We'll have a lot to talk about this week, I'm sure. Theology Thursday and Friday. And uh, actually trying to uh, get a guest on to talk about the history of the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, which would also be fascinating. A lot going on. A lot to pray for. Don't forget that. This is Steve Noble and the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.